and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. Before we get started, I wanted to share a review I recently received on Apple Podcast from Groucho's Mom. It's called My New Favorite. I can't wait for new episodes with Katie. She has the best interviews with people I can really relate to. Awesome podcast. Keep up the good work. You're making a huge difference. Thank you so much, Groucho's mom. I am just smiling from ear to ear. I so love the positive feedback. I love creating this podcast. I can't believe I get to do it. It's so much fun. And I love that these conversations are resonating with you guys, the listeners. I also got a really lovely email that I wanted to share with you from a woman named Chantel. Chantel says, I found your podcast last week and I have binged it. Haha, <laughs> binged is in all caps. I love it. I'm from the UK and I have recently discovered while researching for my son's diagnosis that I have ADHD. We are both waiting on an official diagnosis, but I have never related to something so, so much. I'm looking forward to your next interviews. I love, love, love it. Keep it up. Oh, Chantel, I know all of us can relate to that feeling so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to reach out. As somebody with ADHD, I know how difficult it can be to take the time to share positive thoughts because we're so busy in our brains. And so anytime you stop and take the time to share your feedback or take the time to write a review or even just hit that five stars, I know how that is an extra effort for anyone with ADHD. And so I feel like I doubly appreciate it, not only for the feedback for myself, but also the effort it takes to do something like that. So thank you again to all of you. I really appreciate it. Your reviews and your ratings, I mean, they help my little podcast get noticed more and then more women can find it and they can listen to it. And then they see themselves in these interviews and they feel that connection that is so important to our ADHD diagnoses. So thank you again. Keep them coming. All right. This is episode 13 in which I interview the delightful and charming Emily Prokop. Emily is a speaker, author, podcast, and journalist. She's been podcasting since 2015 and a podcast listener even longer. She has two podcasts, the Story Behind, which was nominated for a Webby Award in 2019 and has since turned into a best-selling book, and Hate to Wait, where she and her co-host discuss their weight loss journeys together. In addition to all of this, Emily became a podcast editor and a consultant in 2017, and she helps podcasters start their shows and continue podcasting. She lives in Connecticut with her husband, two kids, and two cats. Emily was diagnosed seven years ago at the age of 30, and we talk about the symptoms she had as a girl that went unnoticed. We also talk about the tendency to overstudy, which leads to analysis paralysis, as well as the importance of structures and systems to harness all those idea gnats that are constantly buzzing around our heads. Emily shares how she got into podcasting. Spoiler alert, it was a hyperfocus. And it will come as no surprise that most podcasters she has encountered and worked with also have ADHD. I'm putting a trigger warning on this episode because we talk about her weight loss journey, we talk about intermittent fasting, and scale numbers are mentioned. If you have a history with an eating disorder or disordered eating, you will want to skip this interview. And also, just a reminder, we are not medical professionals. We are simply two women with ADHD who are discussing our personal experiences and journeys. All right, let's get to the interview. Enjoy. Okay, so 
Uh, thank you so much for joining me, Emily. Yeah, I'm, thank you for having me. I'm very excited about this interview. I think the biggest thing I'm worried about is keeping this to one hour <laughs> because <laughs> I feel like there's just so many elements I want to talk to you about and and questions I want to ask you about because you are a podcaster and you do such fascinating things and so I'm going to have to pace myself uh, because <laughs> I want to ask you everything all at once. Um, so why don't we get started with ADHD yeah. and tell me a bit about uh, when you first thought you had ADHD and kind of what led up to getting your diagnosis and when that was. Yeah, so I was 30. I'm 37 now, uh, about seven years ago. And I had nothing on the radar for ADHD, absolutely nothing. I was actually going to a therapist at the time for about two years for anxiety. And he was treating my anxiety. And after a while, he realized that the medication that I was taking for anxiety took care of that symptom, as it were, with ADHD. But the impulse control was still running rampant. And so he gave me this questionnaire with all these questions that had the answers of always, never, sometimes. And I'm looking at the questions and I've never seen questions like this. It, were, it was things like, did you doodle in your notebooks while in class? That one specifically will always stick in my brain as I was like, always. I'm like, I've never been asked this before. I never thought about these things. And then just going down the list, I'm in his office, almost shaking being like, what? what is going on? It's almost like finding out that you're from another planet and all this other planet has all these things that all the other people do. And you're stuck here in this other world of neurotypicals being like, wait, oh my gosh. So it was such a revelation for me to, to actually get that. Because after the questionnaire, he looks at it and he's like, so your anxiety is actually a symptom of your ADHD. And uh, that was the first time I heard your ADHD. I don't know if you said that exact phrase, but I I had ADHD now as a word in my brain that possibly applied to me. And I had no idea that all those things on that checklist were ADHD because I grew up in the 80s. I was born in 83. So in the 80s and early 90s, it was all the boys who were fidgety in class. And what my therapist said to me was he's like, right, a lot of younger boys got those diagnoses because they acted it out. And we're finding out more that women internalized it as kids because they would see that behavior, realize it was wrong, hear that label ADHD or ADD, and women were more likely to internalize their own ADD and do things like doodle or look out the window or do all the things that a neurotypical would do, but then be exhausted by about 4 p.m. because they're trying to train their brain, which works differently, to work in a world that doesn't really work for our brains. Yeah, I, so, I think that's the number one 
um, misconception I'm finding with women and girls, which is the H part of ADHD, which was, well, I was never a hyperactive little kid. So, and I'm not even hyperactive now. So how does that pertain to me? And really just sort of not relating to that misconception that the hyperactivity is in your body and, and in your, you know, inability to control yourself in the classroom and all of those things that we sort of see with little boys. And, um, I had a similar experience where I, it was recommended to me or it was suggested gently to me by my therapist a couple of years ago that I had ADHD. And so I took the online, uh, self-test for women from Attitude Magazine and was so, so surprised that it was asking questions about like how tidy I was or mm-hmm. whether I was, would get a lot of anxiety with the, at the idea of like unexpected guests, you know, where I was like, yes. you know, these, these connections that I had never made before where I was like, oh yeah. I saw when I looked at those questions, it was exactly that. I was thinking, how are all these questions connected? What is he testing me for? Like, this is really fun. Whoever made this test, I want to meet them. This sounds like a cool thing to have, whatever it is. Um, But yeah, and it's so interesting. Now, I feel like more females, especially with the internet and social media and groups with ADHD that are coming online, it's so nice to have other women having these conversations and going back and looking at those experiences in childhood and really thinking, wow, this is so interesting. And especially as for me as a parent and looking at my kids too. Yes, absolutely. I think, yeah, I've found a lot of women who were diagnosed because they had a child who was diagnosed and then they started reading the symptoms and saying like, oh, that is something that I experienced, which I think is interesting because for me personally, my son, my diagnosis is so new. My son is nine and I see so much of how I was as a child in him in school and how he relates, you know, how he tackles assignments and stuff like that. And, and, um, you know, it just, it feels so good to me to be able to feel like I can help him in a way that I might not have been able to before this diagnosis. And, um, and, you know, and again, like my husband and I are always talking about like, I, you know, I'm want him to get diagnosed and I want him to get tested, but it's a little difficult with the pandemic right now of like, you know, do we really want these, how important is it to get a three hour test right now in a doctor's office? Um, and you know, his, my husband sort of feels like, oh, it's, you know, it's the stigma of a diagnosis. How is it going to help? Is it going to hinder him? Is it going to make him like sit back on his laurels? And I'm like, no, it's the total opposite. I love how you describe the, the idea of the alien (laughs) planet. Uh, because I, you know, I, I so strongly feel like, oh my goodness, my childhood would have been so different if I had understood this. And yeah. The least I can do is turn around and help my kids. I think one of the really interesting things with a lot of people with ADHD is the fact that once we find out about it, oh my gosh, this is something in my brain. It's just another big puzzle for us to figure out. And a lot of us 
do that work of researching and listening to the podcast and finding out about rejection-sensitive dysphoria and going to Google. And I hope everybody's looking that up right now because I just learned about it and I've had the diagnosis for seven years. And there's so much to unwrap with ADHD. So much, so much. And it affects every aspect of your life, but it doesn't have to hinder it. That's the great thing. That's really the great thing about learning more about it is the more you learn about it, and especially getting that diagnosis for me, it gave me a jumping off point. It was like a new beginning for me, really. Oh, absolutely. And and I think it just changed how I spoke to myself yeah. in such a profound way. Whereas I've said before, like I, I felt like my, my personal narrative was this overarching sense of failure. And I would have these moments that were deviations of failure where I would accomplish things. But it, generally, I always felt like I was doing something wrong or, you know, that that sense that, you know, I, I couldn't do things and, and felt smart, but just also felt like there, you know, I, I didn't know, I didn't get the manual, I think is the expression. Yes. You know? uh, I felt like I was out sick the day they taught everybody else how to human. Right. <laughs> um, and so I've just noticed just in the last few months, uh, you know, how my, how important it has been for me to change my, the way I talk to myself and the way I think about how I approach things and how you, like you said, with the puzzle, you know, that this is all just getting to the solution and figuring out the puzzle. And I love nothing more than puzzles, you know, so. I know. Our brains are meant for this. It's so wonderful, actually. It's like, oh, something people are still talking about and confused. So many different avenues to go down. So many different types of ADHD to look into. Oh, my goodness. It's a rabbit hole. I know. It's definitely still my current hyper focus. I'm curious (laughs) what will happen uh, so, you know, I love talking to people like you who were diagnosed years ago because I've I've always found like I've always found that myself and how I operate is is my hobby, you know, like yes, <laughs> some people too. knit. <laughs> some people knit. I just like love figuring out who I am and how I and operate in this world. And and so it's like, I feel like this is going to be endlessly fascinating for the rest of my life because it applies to so many realms in your life. But I also know that historically I tend to hyper-focus and get super excited about that something. And then I drop it like a hot, like a hot potato, cold potato. I don't know. I drop it, you know? And so I'm curious how this is going to go. The interesting thing with ADHD is you, you can't really run from it. There are times where I felt like I've tried to contain my ADHD and I was like, okay. And I was on medication for a long time until I got pregnant with my son. And then I went a more natural route. And both with medication and without medication, there have been times where I felt like it's contained in its own little world in my bubble. I only have a few minutes a day to deal with ADHD. And then I'm trying to run the rest of my life pretending I'm neurotypical. (laughs) And then I get burnout. So we go through phases. That ADHD is always going to be there. It's always going to be something that affects your life. So whether or not you're really digging into it and focusing on it, it's still something that's a daily, at least something that I like to be mindful of, to be like, oh, I'm really upset. Oh, could it be my ADHD? Could it be my anxiety because of my ADHD? Could it be a story I'm telling myself that isn't actually true and it's my own ADHD coming up with this idea? Okay, so now I you mentioned a little bit about the anxiety. What are some other things when you look back at your past 
uh, with this new lens? What were some things that really struck you as, oh my goodness, that was, of course, that was ADHD? Uh, I think one of the most common things for people with ADHD is hearing growing up, she has so much potential. But there's always that but. Even if they don't say that but, she has so much potential. And it's sometimes it was a good thing. It was a, a nice way to push myself. And I remember looking back when I think about my grades in school, I felt like a lot of times it was either A plus because I got into hyper focus mode and did a whole thing, two weeks worth of work in two nights. Or it was just interesting to you. Yeah. Right, exactly. Or if it was something I was really interesting, interested in. Or it was an F because I just couldn't do it. And not because I wasn't smart enough to do it. It was because I physically, I don't know, something just blocked me. And I didn't know for a long time that that was ADHD. It was, I know I have to do this, but I can't. And I don't know why. And it's because... With our brains, we actually need to step-by-step think out all those steps because if we think about that project, we're very good at having a bird's-eye view of projects, but when the work of that project hits us, it can just paralyze us almost. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I never had a problem researching or taking notes. It -hmm. was the turning around and actually writing the essay that I was paralyzed, (laughs) you know, actually just like starting what, you know, figuring out what to do. And the more research you do, the harder it becomes to actually do something with that. Right. And analysis paralysis, which is one of my favorite terms. I have to remember that because it's so easy for me to get sucked into that. And especially with hyper-focus. I love hyper-focus. I absolutely love it when I can harness it. But there are sometimes I know I'm in it and I'm like, but, oh, but I know this isn't going to get me any closer to my goals or anything I actually want to accomplish, but it's such a good idea. And realizing that we are always going to have way too many ideas for us to have the time to actually execute unless we have the money to, you know, send it out for others to do. But oh, sometimes it can be very heartbreaking to let those ideas go and be like, oh, maybe later. I was going to say, I don't let them go so much as I, I have my lists, you know, yes. I think I have my to-do <laughs> list and I have one that's called like building my empire. And and it's, it's where I put all of those ideas because that was, yeah, that was something that I didn't really think about was this, you know, not only was there sort of this impulsiveness and this urgency to want to do everything, but a lot of that impulsiveness came from not being able to distinguish or not being able to prioritize, right? And so there's like, not only do you have the impulsivity, but then you have the executive function of not being able to prioritize. And so, you know, be realizing the why I always felt like I had all of these idea gnats flying around my head, but was unable to do anything about them because they all felt equally urgent at all times. Yeah. <laughs> and and so just being able to like label that and understand that has been so important to me. And so now I just like dump everything from my head onto these lists and I'm not allowed to even touch them until I've done 
A and then I can do B, you know, but this has come from like a business coach who understands this in my brain. I think that's been, you know, I think the first thing I did after my diagnosis was, and, and I started thinking about myself as an entrepreneur. It was like the first thing I did was hire a business coach because I'm like, oh yes, like I realize now how coaching is essential, that handholding yeah. is essential because like you said, like we can see the big picture, but we really need, like, we need things laid out in full detail over and over and over again because we'll forget. I didn't realize the value of a coach either until years after I started my business. I started my business about almost four years ago now, and I had a a business coach in the beginning, but for marketing. And when I bought his course, first of all, I had to really get to know this business coach and I have a feeling he understands people with ADHD. The way he talked, it was very approachable. But for a lot of other coaches, I was so dubious because it just sounded like they were spewing the same thing over and over again. And he was the first coach to actually sit there and be like, stop overthinking. And I was like, oh, yeah, that worked. Okay. This is the guy I want to go with. (laughs) And just because he was able to speak to my brain and because also his marketing course, I I feel bad I'm not shouting him out, but he doesn't run this anymore. So Landon Porter, love you. But uh, the first part of his course was all about mindset. And it completely did so much that therapy, I felt like my therapist wanted to with me, but I needed to actually do the work and having a course that I had to run through and learn how to set my mindset for business success. All of a sudden, it started making my life make a lot more sense. And it worked with my ADHD brain to really break down the things that I thought my were going on because of my anxiety in my brain versus the things that were actually going on and my actual gifts that I have because of how my brain works. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. If it um, didn't, totally edit it out because I went on an ADHD train and I was like, I'm riding this train. I'm going with it. Okay. This this podcast is all about going off on trains, <laughs> believe me. You know, I was just thinking about like how many topics we've already covered from that first question. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I know. it's, you know, people, people, I think people, if they're listening to this podcast in the first place, they're probably following along just fine because I know. we can make those leaps with no problems. Uh, By the way, listeners, I love your brains. I love talking to other ADHDers. I love listening to other ADHDers. I'm right along with you on those tangents. I love your brains. Um, So how did you get into podcasting? A (laughs) hyper-focus. Actually, I got into podcasting. I had been listening to podcasts for years. Um, and my husband was always saying, oh, you should start a podcast. We have the equipment. We have the equipment. We didn't actually have the equipment. He had microphones from the game Rock Band, if anybody remembers that, on PlayStation, that we could plug into the computer because they were USB, and they were terrible, and I don't recommend anybody start a podcast with Rock Band mics, but because it was something new, and it was something that was shiny, and I had already been a journalist for years. I had been in newspapers, book publishing, magazines. 
this was a new format for me. I learned about some audio in college, but I didn't really want to go into it because I was told my S's whistled and I was very self-conscious about that. And then they taught me a mic technique that I was able to use to stop my whistles. And also when I got into editing podcasts, I learned how to take those whistles out and I got a lot more comfortable on the mic. And then after a while, I don't even care about my whistle anymore, which was interesting because I got to thank podcasting for giving me a lot more confidence speaking out loud, which for me, and I don't necessarily know if this is ADHD, I really like to think first and I, I express myself better in writing form. So speaking was always, it felt like a little bit of a, not a hindrance for me, but something that I couldn't do as well. So podcasting gave me that ability to do that. So I love it. And I love having, I love when other people start podcasting and they're, and I get to help them get used to their voice and get comfortable with their voice and being on the microphone and letting them know that their voice matters. And so, yeah, that's, that's podcasting for me. (laughs) So the story behind, which was that your first podcast? No, that was my second podcast. Everybody should have a first podcast that you get to play (laughs) around with and, you know, even a first few episodes to play around with. And that's what I did with my very first podcast. It was a hobby podcast with one of my friends and I knew going into it, this is how I'm going to learn to podcast. And then when that podcast ended after a year, I decided, okay, I I really want to go a little bit more full force with this. And I decided to do the story behind, which is the extraordinary history of the ordinary. So I take everyday objects and find the story behind them and stick it into a beautiful ADHD-friendly five to ten minute format. (laughs) Uh, And I came up with that idea. Because I have ADHD, and that was actually when I was pregnant and unmedicated, and I got to, like, really experience ADHD again and be like, oh, well, now that I know what this is, okay, this is cool. I can work with this, and I figured out a format because ADHDers are great at making systems when they want to streamline something uh, because I already knew the background of podcasting, and I started doing it. I got hyper-focused on it, and it it went from there. It was nominated for a Webby Award back in 2019, and I was able to write a book from it because that was funny. I always wanted to write a book, and I didn't realize I was writing a book every time I was writing a script for an episode, and the publisher came along and said, hey, you want to put some of those episode scripts together and make a book? And I was like, oh, wow, look at that. I was multitasking, and I didn't even <laughs> realize it. <laughs> Thanks, ADHD brain. <laughs> Yeah, and so I just uh, recorded the audiobook, and it's on the podcast is on indefinite hiatus right now because eh, eh, let me gesture around to everything going on in the world. Yes, your youngest is how old? Oh, he's three, and he talks so much, so much. This is You're the in the trenches. Single. Yeah, and I have a nine-year-old too, who she is wonderful. Oh, I I am so excited for when he he just gets out my three year old when he gets out of this phase of just blah 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 mom mom mommy mommy mom 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 <laughs> because it's it's bad enough my ADHD brain does that to me all the time anyway I'm just like hey Emily you should be doing this you should be doing that hey is that a dust bunny over there maybe you should clean it when's the last time you vacuumed when's the last time you vacuumed the vacuum should you empty the trash yeah let's go empty oh 
And now I have a three-year-old who's just an outside ADHD brain for me. <laughs> oh, well, f- one thing I didn't realize was ADHD, but I totally do, is I am very good at tuning out everybody in my family and tuning out the noise. And, and so it's sort of like a joke with my kids, which is like, if you actually have something that you want me to hear and, and like internalize, you need to like get my attention first and make sure that I'm listening to you. Because if you just come into a room and say, mom, blah, 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 like I'm not going to be listening to you because for my sake of my sanity, I tune everybody out because that noise is just like, it's overwhelming. Yeah. And there's the constant fight or flight response that having young kids puts you in all the time. Your adrenal glands are so shot probably because you're just constantly oh my god what it's like living in a horror movie some days from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed and you're like oh finally and the credits roll and you're tired and you go to bed and start the whole thing again I I do feel like I'm in this wonderful phase right now where I have a 13 year old and a nine year old and they're like (gasps) self-sufficient oh and yet they're not you know self-destructive yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> that's very true yeah that is a sweet spot oh you just gave me something to look forward it, to it Thank really you. gets I know that's why I said you're in the trenches it, it does it gets so you're you're so close to getting out of that feeling of just like constantly exhausted and I mean I don't know I mean yeah there were so many years where I look back now and I was like if I had only had a decent night's sleep everything would have been fine yeah Oh, yeah. And that's that's one thing with ADHD I found out is sleep is imperative for us. There is a difference when you, for me, I can get six hours of sleep and function fine, like maybe at a C plus level. But if I get seven hours of sleep, that's at least a B. If I get eight hours of sleep or more, oh, man, that's just the best day for me. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? But not too long because... If we do it too long, then it's so easy to just lay in bed the rest of the day because, oh, this is easy. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that was one thing that I really struggled with in the beginning, uh, embracing the H part of ADHD because I had hyperfocus and I had what I used to call manic episodes of, of productivity, but then I would also then need that mental rest where I would sit on the couch doing nothing for a day or two and... I also, at the same time, even though now I realize you need that mental rest after hyperfocus, at the time I felt so guilty the whole time because I think like we have a really hard time relaxing and so much of that relaxation comes with a sense of guilt and shame or failure. I'm not sure, but like I really enjoy my relaxation time a lot more now (laughs) since my diagnosis because I'm like, oh yeah, it makes sense. I'm refueling. And and even when I say that out loud, I'm like, I'm sure most people, neurotypicals might have already realized that a long time ago that rest equals refueling. Like, that's not a difficult, obtuse concept, but like, you still need to, for me, it was something that I hadn't really made that connection yet. And it's so hard right now in society where there is this hustle culture that pervades a lot of people in entrepreneurship where you must be hustling from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. You should be thinking about your business. If you want it badly, you'll find the time. I think that's one of my least favorite phrases right now. If you want it bad enough, you'll find the time because it's true for the really big things, the values, hopefully. But 
when you hear that phrase, at least for me, sometimes it, it feels like you're lazy. You, you're not achieving your dreams because, well, first of all, I have way too many because we're idea machines. <laughs> and that hustle culture can really bring you into a guilt spiral. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think also there's always a sense of like, I should be doing something else right now, you know, especially when it comes to my business. I feel like I should be making vision boards and I should be having business plans and I should be much better about, you know, my goals and all of this stuff. And, and there, you know, there's always this sense, which I think stems from that feeling like I never got the manual, (laughs) which is like everybody else is successful because they're doing these things that I don't know how to do. And I think we... We fall subject easily to comparisonitis, where we see what other people are doing. And it's easy to see many of many of the same people, types of people doing different things and thinking that there is one amazing woman entrepreneur out there who does the vision board and the yearly planning and looks back on 2020 and does the Pinterest post and the blog post and the Instagram post. There must be one amazing woman. And why can't it be me? Because I have all these ideas. I can have it in my head. I see it in my head. But oh my goodness, getting my hands to do it and getting time to do it and having the energy to do it. No, I don't think that's realistic. (laughs) (laughs) At least not for me, at least not in these trenches. I'm sorry if I'm bringing everyone down (laughs) because I'm very much, it's so hard right now just to to have everything going on and trying to be an entrepreneur. So anybody who's doing it, anybody who's doing any of those things, if you did even one of those things, congratulations. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. And now how did you transition into uh, podcast editing professionally? Well, when I was doing my podcast, I was so hyper-focused and I was in all the podcasting groups on Facebook and I got to know a lot of podcasters and I went to conferences. And what's interesting is I am an introvert, but apparently when I find other people who are hyper-focused on the same thing I'm hyper-focused on, I forget that I'm an introvert and I go and I socialize and I meet them and I get to talk to them and I get to find out about their brains. And a lot of podcasters that I know are also diagnosed as ADHD or they think that they may be, they may have ADHD too. So it's very fun to talk to all of them and entrepreneurs too. A lot of ADHD entrepreneurs out there. So I really enjoy talking to them. The problem is because I'm an introvert, it took me a while to realize that that drains a lot of my energy. And when my energy is drained at that point, uh, wait, where was I going? Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I ADHD'd out on you completely. Hmm. I had asked about how you how you got into podcast editing. Yeah. Yeah. Just as an aside, you reminded me of the the confusion between the am I an extrovert or an introvert? And I wonder if that's peculiar to ADHD as well, or at least very common, because I, I, I get a sense from a lot of people who have ADHD that like you said, like we really like one-on-one conversations and we really like get, you know, those connections. And we also are very good at like being on stage and performing in a certain way and, and public speaking. And, and so there's ways in which I feel like I'm an extrovert. There are sometimes I can walk into a room and I'm the life of the party, but then there are so many, you know, but 
at the end of the day, I feel like I'm an introvert because of, like you said, like I'm so drained by all of that and I need so much rest. And I really just like being at home with my family, you know, like the, the social distancing was not an issue for us because we like each other. We like being home and we're homebodies. And so I always have that, you know, whenever somebody asks, are you an extrovert or an introvert? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But so the, the reason I re- brought that up was because I was able to network with all these people. When I found out that I was getting laid off from my job, probably because I was too hyper-focused on podcasting, <laughs> um, I decided to go into podcast editing. I really liked it. I knew other podcast editors and I was always thinking, wow, this is an, an amazing job. I can't believe people do this from home. This is always what I wanted. I always wanted to work from home. I love podcasts. I love listening to them all day. And because of my hyper-focus, I was able to learn how to edit a lot. Like everything, every single question I would think of, every single idea I had in audio, I was able to Google it or I was able to go to somebody I knew from podcasting and say, hey, how, how do I do this thing? I have an idea of how do I, what I want to do, how do I do it? And so that really got me into podcast editing when I got that sort of kick to, well, you got to find a new job. And uh, I had my network and I started telling people, all right, I think I'm going to start editing other people's podcasts. And I had a client or two. I And that was, uh, that was pretty much how I got into podcast editing. Then I started doing it full time. And then when everything hit back in March, uh, I scaled back. I was only doing... Well, I was about to start putting out more courses and all that stuff, but now I'm just, I'm pretty much doing podcast editing and a few offshoots now of, I still have my courses and I'm hoping to do a few more this year. Hoping, hoping, hoping. It's on my plan. Your build your empire list? <laughs> yep. 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 But I realize I have to take it one, one year at a time because if somebody asks me, where do you see yourself in five years? It's like a punch to my face almost. It's just like, oh my God, you can't ask me that. There are way too many ideas. I could be anywhere in five years. I have no idea. <laughs> That's a great point. I love that. That is a really difficult question to ask somebody with ADHD. Because <laughs> you're opening yourself up to a lot. It's like, oh, well, I'll be 42. My kids will be older. My son will be potty trained. The world will open up again. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. You know what was funny? So I, every year I see this challenge called NAPOD POMO and it's National Podcast Post Month and it's in November and it's to put out a podcast episode every single day. And I've been wanting to do it for three years. So in October, I started this notebook just to come up with podcast ideas. And I'm like, okay, well, I really want to do this. Let me just write down a bunch of ideas and write down however much of that idea I want to brainstorm. So now I have a notebook. I didn't even do a podcast because I have a notebook of 40 podcast ideas and I can't choose a single one of them and I don't have time to do it anyway. I don't know what I was thinking. So now I just have this notebook that every time I have a new podcast idea, I stick it in there. I brainstorm as much as possible and then I put it away and say, I don't have time, but maybe another, maybe another lifetime. 
Maybe that'll be the podcast. Just giving other people ideas for podcasts if they have time. I know. I thought about that, but I feel like that's so dangerous to do. (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah, let me give you this idea. Run with it. How many listeners? Oh, man, there are going to be at least, you know, two other podcasts out there like it now. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, and that's another thing, too. I feel like I have a really hard time... um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like I'll do something. Um, if it feels like it's been, if it it feels like it's not a sort of unique novel idea, it's very difficult for me to kind of go through with it. And, and, you know, I see a lot of people in my, in my industry who will sort of take the same message over and over and they just post about it like the same five posts all the time year after year and it just seems so boring to me and I you know I'm like oh wait I could actually do that I could I could like go back into my old post and regurgitate them that's like a thing you could do (laughs) but you know I feel like we we seek newness so much I guess is my point we love reinventing the wheel especially wheels we've already invented over and over again repurposing is so boring I love it. My one part of my brain loves the efficiency of it. The other part is like, but but we could be more creative. But we, <laughs> what if we just change it up a bit? It's only going to be five minutes, five minutes of hyper focus, which actually means an hour. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Hate to Wait, which is yeah. another podcast that you started with a fellow podcaster. Also who has ADHD. (laughs) Who also has ADHD. And you started that, what, in 2018? Yeah, we started that when we both started doing intermittent fasting. And we were talking about it. And because we're podcasters and we have ADHD, we were like, oh, let's let's start a podcast. Let's start a podcast about it. We got to talk about it. Come on. Let's get on the mics. And that's what we did every week we would talk about our weight and we wanted it to be very positive because I had worked with an eating coach who really made me aware of just how toxic diet culture can be sometimes and how much a lot of the messages that were that I grew up with being a child of the 80s but also having parents with you know trouble with eating and diets uh, a lot of those messages I needed to sort of get clear on and get rid of and replace with better messages and better habits. So we started that podcast to talk about every week. And since starting that podcast, I've lost almost 100 pounds. Uh, I stopped back in March um, with and I went into maintenance when everything shut down with COVID. I went into maintenance mode with intermittent fasting and the podcast was still going for a while. But now we're both in maintenance mode. We don't really want to really go deep into weight loss with everything going on. So um, we're doing it every month, but it's still going on. If anybody is interested in talking about intermittent fasting and it it's a comedy podcast, it's a conversation podcast. We both have ADHD. We go on plenty of tangents. It's a lot of fun. We deal with a lot of food, stigma, diet, culture, myth busting. I mean, we, we love that stuff because it's so hard I think for especially people with ADHDers where we have that impulse control, um, we have that maybe not problem with impulse control, but it's something that we need to be extra aware of. We're dieting for a lot of ADHDers is really tough. 
and and keeping on top of their health is really tough. Yeah, absolutely. That I, I have a long history of dieting and um, was actually, you know, a former Weight Watchers leader. And I always joke about the fact that I joined Weight Lo- I joined Weight Watchers, and all I got was this lousy binge eating disorder because, <laughs> um, you know, I just I I feel it makes sense to me why people with ADHD uh, find dieting appealing because diets offer structure, they offer excitement, they offer planning and weighing and tracking and all of this stuff that you can really like get into, you know, and, and get that dopamine and hit and, you know, see results. Every diet has a big learning curve, which for our hyper focus, we're like, ooh, something new, something shiny. Right? Yeah. And I'm, you know, that idea of like reinventing, reinventing yourself. I mean, all of that is super, super appealing to our brains. Um, but at the same time, we don't really like to be stuck in routines. So, you know, it's right. And and then you take into consideration the idea of um, inattentiveness. And so we have a really difficult time um, tuning in to our hunger and our fullness. And so it makes sense why when we are not dieting, when we're not in this rigid structure, we tend to feel like our lives are out of control and that there's a sense of chaos and, and, you know, and you sort of like come to and the bag of chips is empty. You know, those, that feeling of like accidentally binging on food. Right. And so like, I've thought so much about the ADHD brain and like how we deal with food. And and I didn't realize until I was diagnosed and started researching into ADHD, how binge eating is such a, a big, um, you know, habit or, or struggle with so many people with ADHD but it makes total sense, you know, why, why, um, we have that tendency to eat beyond fullness and, and, um, not only the, the dopamine, but also the inattentiveness and, and, and why we kind of always go back to diets and, and try to like reclaim that structure and that automation in our lives. So it's, you know, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, how, how are ways that we can bring structure to our lives and have goals and have, um, a sense of excitement without getting stuck in a lot of that toxicity of diet culture and without having everything being focused on like how we look or how we are perceived, you know, and, and, you know, some of the stuff that like, as a mother to a 13 year old, or, you know, I want to avoid for this next generation of girls in terms of just the the poor body image and the, and the self-esteem issues that come out of a lifetime of dieting. And so like, how do we kind of juggle all of this when it comes to this overarching umbrella of our health? And, and one thing that has been really fascinating to me about intermittent fasting and why I was so excited to talk to you about it, um, is, is the fact that it sort of feels like it's kind of tailor-made for the ADHD brain. And so I wanted to find out how you feel like it has helped you in terms of your ADHD. I mean, I, I know that it, it is great for weight loss and a lot of people use it for weight loss. Um, 
And, you know, there's the whole science behind it, which I don't feel like we can get into in the course of a one hour podcast. (laughs) And I will actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I will probably put a trigger warning at the beginning that we are not doctors. We are not medical professionals. Um, But, you know, I think there's so much about um, uh, ADHD and intermittent fasting. Basically, when you're in the fasted state, you everything that is good about ADHD sort of turns on, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that was something that in my own like forays into intermittent fasting was immediately, I just felt like so much energy and so much clarity and so much focus and, and everything I knew about everything I thought I knew about the importance of breakfast just went out the window. (laughs) Um, Right. Me too. And I never liked it to begin with, which was funny. I would skip it going to school. And my mom's like, how would you do that? And I'm like, I don't know, but I feel better doing it. But she right. wouldn't let me do it because breakfast is the most important meal of the day over and over and over again, stuck in your brain, stuck in your brain. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I know, you know, a lot of reg- registered dietitians who sort of use that metaphor of like building the fire and you have to put the, f- you have to keep the f- logs on the fire all day long, which I, you know, on some level makes sense to me. But at the same time, I'm like, when I'm putting logs on the fire all day long, I feel tired and foggy and I want to take a nap, you know? Doesn't (laughs) that kill the fire if you keep putting logs on it too? I've killed a lot of fires with doing that. Right? Well, I think people with ADHD maybe put too much fire. You know, we have a tendency to like not know how much to take this metaphor as far as it'll go. You know, like we just like, we will just throw all the logs on the fire (laughs) all at once. And, you know, I always felt like when it came to... Um, intuitive eating sort of felt like it makes sense to people who have a lot of impulse control to begin with and who are much you know better at tuning into their hunger and fullness whereas something like this where you can literally have a switch on and off for when you eat seems tailor-made to the ADHD brain so curious what you think yeah For me, I found out about intermittent fasting from the book Faster Than Normal. It's by Peter Shankman. It's about turning ADHD into a superpower. It's written by somebody with ADHD. So anybody with ADHD who's like, I can't read books. I don't like books. I can't pay attention. I promise you, you'll read it. You'll hyper-focus on it. There are beautiful bullet points, lots of white space, so we're not overwhelmed with just text in your face. Um, And... In that book, he talks about using ADHD as a superpower. And in one chapter, he talks about intermittent fasting. And that was the first time I really heard about it and how it works, how it's structured. And for me, being a former binge eater, I guess you never grow out of it or you can't say former. I'm always going to be a binge eater. But being a binge eater and knowing that I didn't like how I looked and I wanted to go on a diet, I didn't like how I felt, I didn't like my health and I wanted to change it, that was occupying my brain from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed, not fully in front, but whizzing in the background, sort of like a buzz you're constantly hearing. And sometimes you can tune it out, but it's still there. It was constantly, should I eat? Should I be eating? Is this the right thing to eat? Oh my gosh, was it too soon since I ate? And a diet Every, I would go on every diet, find out about it. I would love the structure of it, but then it would get to be too much. And when I found out about intermittent fasting and how I only had to think about eating for eight hours in a day, oh my gosh, it was like a light bulb went off. And 
Those other hours of the day, I didn't have to think about eating. I didn't have to think about nutrition labels. I didn't have to think about calorie counting. Was it after eight o'clock? Yep. Can I eat? Nope. Okay. Do, 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 do. And whatever it was I wanted, that was the other thing, is then I read Delay, Don't Deny by Jen Stevens. And that book title said it all for my ADHD brain, Delay, Don't Deny. If I want that chocolate cake, Oh, I can have that chocolate cake. I can have that chocolate cake for quote unquote breakfast, which is now 12 o'clock. The first thing I eat can be chocolate cake if I want it. And after doing intermittent fasting and seeing that it worked for my brain, I wasn't even doing it for weight loss. I really was. I wasn't expecting it to work for weight loss. The first week I was doing it, I was like, nah, uh-uh, this isn't going to work. Yeah, honey, we're having takeout. We're going to drive through for a whole week, but only between 12 and 8. I just want to see what the, the whole thing is. Like, I just want to see it. And wouldn't you know, it was amazing. Oh, my goodness. I loved it. And I kept doing it. It wasn't something I had to ease into. It became very easy. Uh, after a while, there is an adjustment period. There is the first time you eat for the first few weeks, the first time you eat during the day, sometimes you may need a nap. I, I needed a nap after lunch every single day for two weeks. I'm like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work. But after that goes away, the brain fog would clear. And uh, after a few years, I was losing weight and I was still eating all my favorite foods again that diets took away from me. And my body naturally went into intuitive eating of wow, I'm really craving vegetables. Like if, if I don't have a vegetable soon, I think my stomach's going to be mad at me. I, I don't think I'm going to feel great. And it was weird hearing those messages for the first time from my stomach or from my brain because before it was just diet, 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 must lose weight, must count calories, must get on the scale. If the scale is too high, you're bad. If the scale is low, good for you. And doing that, like that yo-yoing was done. It was done. I loved it. Yeah, I think I think listening to your intuitive self, I think that voice is louder uh, when you don't have, you know, a, the diet rules from whatever diet you're on telling you what to do. And so then you start to like stop listening to your own inner voice about what should I do? Um, because you're always listening, you know, you're like, well, what are the rules? What am I supposed, you know, is this have gluten in it or is this you know keto or you know like let me count macros let me count right, yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you know and and so the you lose track of of how you actually feel from one moment to another and so yeah I do feel like once you get into this rhythm of trusting yourself you can actually start to say yeah yeah I actually do want vegetables or <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is amazing. I, I, I'm so fascinated by that whole topic. It was definitely my hyper focus for a while. And still, to some degree, I'm, st I'm very fascinated behind the science behind um, switching over to using fat for fuel and autophagy and all of that interesting stuff. Okay, so then how can our listeners find you? How can they know more about you? And how can they work with you? Yeah, first I want to say thank you for having me on. This has been oh, such a refreshing adult conversation, and I'm sorry I went on so many tangents. I feel like I'm so excited to talk to a real live adult in person that I just I just threw it all at you. So I'm sorry to you. I'm sorry to your listeners. I'm sorry to future you who is 
editing. (laughs) (laughs) But you can find me over on Instagram. I'm there every day. I love Instagram. I'm at Emily Peck, P-E-C-K, Procop, P-R-O-K-O-P. And please visit me over there. All my stuff can be found at epodcastproductions.com if you're interested in podcasting. If you want to get a podcast launch checklist absolutely free, head on over there if you're thinking about starting a podcast. And I look forward to connecting. If you're an ADHD woman entrepreneur, please connect with me. I love I love being surrounded by you all. Oh, it's wonderful. It's woman. Wonderful. It's such a supportive community. It is amazing because it's like, <laughs> on the one hand, you 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 want that validation and acceptance so much, and we get it in spades. Like everybody is so positive because I think we all come from that sense of like feeling like an outsider for so much yeah. of our lives, and everybody is such wonderful cheerleaders, and and I, I feel very seen and and understood and welcomed. And the other thing is. I love our brains that when there's a question asked in a Facebook group for people with ADHD, the answers aren't just Google it or here's a quick link. It's step-by-step instructions and context and letting you know, oh, in case this happens, make sure you do this because our brains are so helpful as soon as we figure out a solution. We can't wait to tell other people that it's such a supportive community in that respect. Yeah, I agree. I know I've started like even emails when I when I send emails out now, I put a TLDR at the end, at the beginning <gasps> and so I make smart. everything I make everything <laughs> in like point form nodes and then this, there's certain things that I bold and then there's certain important things that I bold and put in red and like I'm realizing like how helpful all of that stuff has always been to me and so I'm like well I want to be helpful to everybody else because it's so important I know and what's funny is I I'll speak in bullet points to people in email sometimes and I'm like I'm sorry this is just how my brain works it works in bullet points they're like no that's actually the most memorable email I've gotten so helpful thank you (laughs) like great I can't make a story out of it sometimes but I can give you bullet points and step by step Okay, well, yeah, you have, uh, Emily has fantastic freebies and downloads and is giving away so much really great information for free uh, on her website. If you are interested in maybe starting a podcast this year, she's a great place to start. And you do your Sunday Q&As on Instagram stories, right? Yeah, that's that's become so nice especially for my brain where I can't I don't have to go live going live just it stresses me out but at least I can say okay Sundays give me your questions I'll answer them when that when that answer bug when that Instagram bug hits me and I'm like okay I'm ready for this now (laughs) I love it all right well I've so enjoyed talking to you I I'm really glad you agreed to do this and I'm so grateful there you have it Thank you for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, as you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review over on my website, womenandadhd.com, or on Apple Podcasts, or Audible, or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done. 
or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower, and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. Make sure to tag me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at women and ADHD. If you are a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. My email is womenandadhdpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about me, head over to worthitwithkatie.com. That's where I help other women with ADHD break free from the yo-yo dieting and binge eating cycle for good. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu.